Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jonathan All. The world is remembering the Rwandan genocide from 25 years ago. From April to July of 1994, nearly a million people lost their lives as they were slaughtered during the Rwandan Civil War. The United Nations solemnizes the tragedy, among others, by marking June 26th as the UN Day in Support of Victims of Torture. Locally, the Missouri Historical Society has partnered with the Bilingual International Assistance Services and the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center to create a program next week titled Triumph Over Darkness. That event will feature Marie-Christine Williams, a survivor of the 1994 massacre. She's the author of The Dark Side of Human Nature and joins us in studio to share her story and reflections. Also joining me in studio is Ron Clutho, Refugee Services Coordinator for BIAS, the Bilingual International Assistance Services based in South St. Louis. Ron and Marie-Christine, thank you so much for joining me on the program. Thank you so much for having us. A note to listeners before we get going today, uh, we may be discussing difficult uh, topics, including uh, genocide and sexual assault. So Ron, this is the third time that uh, this consortium of groups have gotten together uh, to put on a program in honor of the UN Day of Support of Victims of Torture. What is the day all about? And maybe more importantly, why is it important to have a local acknowledgement of it in St. Louis? Uh, June 26th was chosen as the United Nations Day in support of victims of torture because that's uh, the anniversary in 1945 of the, when the United Nations Charter was signed, when it was established. And then also in 1987, the, the Convention Against Torture was established by the UN. So this it was established as a, as a day of recognition in 1997. And um, it is recognized all over the world. We recognize it in St. Louis, as you mentioned, for three years at the History Museum, before that at the Holocaust Museum, because we have a large uh, population in St. Louis of survivors of torture, survivors of genocide. And um, we have found good partners in the History Museum and the Holocaust Museum. And, and um, we the main purpose we do that is to let the larger community know that that this is, has existed in the world and we have uh, survivors of those terrible things here in St. Louis. And, and what do you hope that people get out of learning more about this and having a better understanding of what has happened around the world and how that is present here in our community? Well, one of the things we suggest is that uh, people get involved after the fact. We've got uh, a list of agencies both here in St. Louis and in Rwanda that serve and assist uh, survivors of torture and genocide, and uh, we strongly encourage people to get involved. We also just want people to know about this having happened in the world. It's Unfortunately, it's probably going to happen again. So I think the more people know about it, uh, maybe we can work towards eradicating it. That's the point of this June 26th day. Marie-Christine, your experience is nothing short of harrowing. Um, what do you find in yourself when you choose to speak about it to groups the way that you have before and the way that you're planning to next week? Actually, what my mission is today is by sharing my story, I believe that I can change someone's life. I feel like my story can help someone who is struggling, who is suffering, who is going through difficulties in life. So my story is mostly based on empowering people in our communities. 
So not just specifically to someone who has a shared experience like yours, but someone who's facing any kind of difficulty? Anybody who's facing anything. You might be someone who just lost their loved ones. You might be somebody who had uh, a very bad past and something that is very hard for you to forget. And so for me, my story is actually based on reminding people that if I made it and I survived and I found peace, you can do it too. It's been 25 since, years since the, the, the massacre in Rwanda. Um, do you find that people remember? Do they understand? Do they have a vague recollection there, that there was that problem in that country they may never heard of, have heard of before news reports of the genocide started coming out? Yeah, I just believe that most people, they don't know what happened because Rwanda is the smallest country in the world. And it was actually even now we have probably the population is a little bit over 10 million. But um, in 1994, when the genocide began, Rwanda was on bottom. But, you know, so my story, every time I share it, People ask me questions about, oh, how did you make it? How did you survive? What happened? We never heard about it. So I'm actually raising awareness about what happened, not only in Rwanda, in Europe, also when uh, the Jews were attacked and massacred. And as you can see in my uh, synopsis, my grandmother, she was also a Holocaust survivor. So I'm here actually representing, actually sharing awareness about what happened so we can actually stop, change the world. You mentioned your grandmother, a Holocaust survivor. How much did she talk to you about that? How much knowledge did you know of her experience? So when I was a younger girl, uh, she raised me until I turned age seven. And the time she used to tell me, my life was bad. I had a very bad childhood. Uh, the reason she shared her stories with me and her past and her childhood, it was because my father and my mother they didn't want me, so they abandoned me. So for her to lift me up, she used her story, her childhood, and the things she went through to actually help me understand that I am loved. So I remember one time telling me that, oh, you know, when I was a young girl, my, I lost my entire family through Holocaust. We were taken to the camp, and I watched my father getting hung. So I never understood until 1994. Do you think you could have survived what you had gone through had it not been for the lessons that your grandmother taught you? No, I just believe that every time I was struggling and running for my life in 1994, I always remember that if I can fight for what I want in life, I can survive this. I can make it. So my grandmother gave me a gift of believing in myself. Your book is called The Dark Side of Human Nature, and you've seen the darkest <laughs> of human nature. Do you still believe in goodness and kindness after everything that you've seen and been through? Uh, in the beginning, after Rwandan genocide, 
um, I didn't believe in anyone. I didn't trust people. But after 20 years of trying to find peace, I finally believe that I'm doing better than I ever been before. I found peace. I now trust people. I believe them. And you know, you have to remember that someone like me who went through a lot of struggle, sometimes we become harder to other people. And I don't want my past to be a burden to other people. I want my past to be something that they can remember and think about and something they never want to happen to them. I want them to see me as somebody who survived to share a story and to be, to empower the ones in need. Ron, it, the, the, the idea of, um, of, of wide-scale genocide unfortunately doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Um, you know, I think that, uh, that with the Holocaust was the first time that the world became aware of a genocide uh, because of, of the, the size and scope of World War II and the, uh, the presence of cameras and reporters to tell these stories. But since then, there was the genocide in Cambodia, in Rwanda, mm -hmm. in Bosnia, in Darfur. Is, is are these moments where people decide that a whole group of people should just be slaughtered simply because of who they are. Is that just part of human nature that's never going to go away? I, I'm afraid so. I hope not. But I, I, what, I've, what I've learned in meeting people from these countries and reading about it is that one of the tools is propaganda and dehumanizing the, the quote-unquote other. In the case of Rwanda, the Hutus would refer to the Tutsis as cockroaches and snakes and vermin that needed to be eradicated for the health of the larger community. That's the same kind of language that was used in the Holocaust, that was used in Bosnia, slightly different terms, but they were still dehumanized. Um, so we, we see that with the people we serve at Bilingual International every day. Um, you name the country that people are refugees from, and, and there's a version of some type of dehumanizing language that, that really, when it's drummed into people's heads over and over again, along with economic problems, um, political problems, is a recipe for disaster. During the genocide in Rwanda, there was a, a radio station that, that const I think Christine can attest to this, constantly telling people to... Um, you know, go out and kill. And, and the, the, in the case of Rwanda, um, the, it was colonized by Germany and then later Belgium. And these colonizing powers used relatively minor ethnic differences to set these groups against each other, the, the idea of divide and conquer. And so that, that started a lot of resentment among the Hutus because the Tutsis were the favored population by the Belgians. Um, later, when the country became independent in 62, because the Hutus were a majority, they got power and they, <laughs> they really used that against the Tutsis with years of resentment. And um, actually, the Belgians, before independence, through their power, 
away from the Tutsis towards the Hutus because they were desperate to keep the country and they thought that the Tutsis were better organized to, to get to independence. And so outside powers, um, in this case and other countries too, uh, used propaganda and, and hate speech because in Rwanda, just as in Bosnia, the people lived in peace. There were a lot of intermarriage for most of history until uh, political opportunists came in, outside powers came in, or economic problems, and that, that led to disaster. It, it's hard enough to get people to pay attention to what goes on in torture and murder around the world when you can tie it to a very specific and organized genocide. But your group also works with people that are victims of these things in countries where there may not be, there, there's obviously horrible things going on, but not as, as uh, organized of, uh, of, uh, and, of a genocide and, and hurting people, you know, places like Syria, Afghanistan, the Congo, Iraq. How do you get the average person to care about what's going on on the other side of the world um, to, to the point where they may do something about it when how much can we do about it when we live here in the middle of the U.S.? For me, it makes a big difference when I actually meet somebody from those countries. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm, I think I'm, I mentioned to you before we went on the air that the first year we did this at the History Museum, we had uh, a panel of four uh, people that we had assisted from four different countries who shared their stories. We had one from Angola, one from Bosnia, one from Burma, and one from... Afghanistan. And uh, they shared their personal stories and the, you could have heard a pin drop in the auditorium. The people in the audience, some of them were not familiar with the stories of those countries, but just the, I think the human connection made people want to at least learn more or get involved or do something. Marie Christine, uh, the next the event next week includes a question and answer session, especially when when you tell your story being shot, being hurt, the surgeries that you've gone through, what what do people want to know? What do, what do they ask you? Actually, every time I do an event, the first questions I always get, the first five questions I always get from people is like, how you made it? How did you survive? How can you be there and smiling and trying to have a normal life? And every time I get those questions, I always have different answers for them. Um, If you're struggling, accept your past. Accept what happened to you so you can accept it. Once you accept it, so you can actually move on. Because if you're hiding your past, you're burying your past in your heart, in it deep in you, and you don't want to share it, and you don't get help, and you don't want to actually to try to work on it and accept it, you will never move on. That's me, like 20 years ago. I'm in a different place today than I was 20 years ago. So I remember uh, like after genocide when I, st- I was still 14, uh, I'm laying in the bed and I'm very, very angry. I could not believe I survived. I couldn't feel my feet. I had much, wounds all over me, including machetes, and um, the memories were gone. All I had in me was anger. But after so many years from being angry 
and refusing to accept my past, I get tired of it. I have accepted, yes, I survived Rwandan genocide. Yes, I was molested as a child. Yes, I watched people dying. And I struggled to find food and find a place to sleep um, in the hundred days of my journey. Um, you know, it took, it took a lot of work for me to be where I am. It took me a lot of work to accept that, okay, yes, it's the past. What now I'm doing next? What I'm doing to actually move forward and actually find the peace? Here I am today. I'm the happiest person. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the, the hope, joy, moving on, acceptance, those are great messages. Don't you want people to be angry, though, that, that this kind of thing could happen? It, it, it's happened since your struggle, and it may very well likely happen again. Don't you want people to be angry about that part of it, though? No. I actually want people to change their behaviors. I want people to accept each other for who they are. I want people to believe in each other. I want people to actually come together as a community and actually believe in making positive changes in the communities. Because if I can change, you change, actually we can actually change the world together as a community. You know, some people believe that they don't have power to change what happened, but yes, they do. As an example, uh, Ron was talking about the propaganda in Rwanda, how they brainwashed people, how they told them to hate each other, that if you're short, you must be Hutu, if you're tall uh, and skinny and, you know, slender, you must be Tutsi. You know what? The brainwash them. Is no such thing of you if you're short you're Hutu or if you're tall you're Tutsi. Because you know what? I have met people who look more like Tutsis than I am. And who's Hutu that is Hutu. That's why I always tell people that if you're going to judge me, I want you to judge me by my behaviors. I want to judge I want you to judge me by the way I treat you. Because if you're going to judge me by the color of my skin or how tall or how short I am, it's not right. So I just want people to actually accept that people are different and accept to live together. That's my message. That's my hope. How do you react then when you see in the news um, groups of people being marginalized, uh, people being uh, uh, the victims of propaganda, uh, those same kinds of things you talked about happen in the United States, they happen in other countries. Um, How does it feel when you see that happening, something that was a precursor to genocide really in your country? Okay, for me, I just believe that you know, those countries, I can go on and on with names and count the, of the countries that are struggling right now. But you know what? All those people who's getting killed, I feel bad for them. And sometimes my memories comes back and I feel so bad that we're in 2019 and we can't really find a way to actually work together. We can't find a way to stop it, you know, and it, the governments. They have the power to step in and actually get the help. They have power to step in and tell the citizens, this is not our country should be running. 
Our country should be running by our values, not by hate. That's not the way you bring community together by killing a neighbor or by killing somebody, someone because it's different than you. So I just, it makes me sad. Ron, ultimately, isn't it governments that can stop genocide? And does it then the focus for um, average people to make sure that their governments, both you know nationally and, and part of international communities, stand up to this and say, at the first sign of something, something has to be done? Yes, and I think um, in you know a lot of governments, a lot of national governments refused to call what happened in Rwanda a genocide because if they did, they would be, have been forced to to intercede, to act, because most of the countries signed off on the Convention Against Genocide, and and um, and so you know there was a lot of dithering in international communities. There was a there was a, a in fact United States. State Department official in in '94 during the genocide, who was uh, at a press conference, and reporters were trying to get her to admit that it was a genocide, and she was danced. I mean, it was painful to watch. She was dancing around the word, saying that acts of genocide occurred, but it was not genocide. So, yeah, I think a lot of countries are are unwilling or unable to intercede, but but you know, the, most of the countries have made a vow to not let this happen again. The event is Triumph Over Darkness. It is 6.30 Wednesday, the 26th at the Lee Auditorium. Um, And uh, more information on that is available on our website, stlpublicradio.org. Author and survivor Marie Christine Williams and Ron Clutho with Bilingual International Assistance Services. Thank you both very much for being here today. Thank you for having us. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.